Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. On today's episode, we're getting literary because I'll be speaking with New York Times number one best-selling author Jennifer Weiner about her upcoming book, The Summer Place. It's definitely a read that will get you ready for summer, but it's also funny, touching, and sweet. Personally, I was struck by the events that inspired her to write the novel. More on that with our chat. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. One of my favorite types of people to chat with are writers. I've always found writers have a different outlook on life. They experience things differently. It's also just a joy for someone like me who's an insane reader. So my chat with best-selling author Jennifer Weiner certainly checked a lot of boxes for me. You know her from books like Mrs. Everything, her debut novel, Good and Bad, and In Her Shoes, which was turned into a film starring Tony Collette, Cameron Diaz, and Shirley MacLaine. I can't even tell you how much I love that movie. Jennifer's new novel, The Summer Place, comes out May 10th, but you should certainly pre-order it now because it's quite literally the perfect summer read and will get you ready for summer. I spoke with Jennifer about the book, how the pandemic inspired it, and why it's kind of ironic that Jennifer Weiner is the queen of the summer read because, just like me, we're not summer people. Your new book is so fantastic. I read it. It's lovely. It's just like, it's, it's, when I think of you, I think of summer in a lot of ways. And I, I'm not a summer person, but I am a person who likes to stay in and read during the summer. So I feel like you're a perfect person for that. Why, how does it feel to kind of be the queen of like the beach read, the summer read? Well, it, it feels honestly a little ironic because I'm like you, I'm not a summer person and the beach is probably my least favorite Same. of all places to read. Same. Because, I mean, the sand gets everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and then once you have children, if you're by like a large body of water and you hear anybody yell, mom, you <laughs> think your kid is drowning. Like even if your yeah. kids aren't there. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's kid could be drowning. Like I just, <laughs> it, it's just not, it's, it's not my, yeah. and I'm hot. I'm schwitzy. Like all yes. the time. Yes. I always, my joke is like literally five minutes into being on a beach, there's not enough shade and I need a Starbucks. Like, I don't know what to do. 
Right, right. So, um, you know, look, if, if people are reading my books anywhere during any season, any place they want to read them, I am happy. I feel incredibly lucky that people want to read the stories that I'm telling. I mean, mm-hmm. even if I particularly do not get the whole summer piece of it, like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, because I think I feel like people associate, you know, summer with vacations and pleasure reading, right? But I'm always reading for pleasure. And I kind of don't understand people who aren't like reading all the time. It just yeah. like, who yeah. even are you? And, and I know. why? I can 1000% relate. I got, I, I'm, I, I got together with a man who, my boyfriend, my longtime partner, who he doesn't read and I don't understand it. Right. It blows right? me away. Who is like, that? What, happening in their brains like i know <laughs> i know. You know i mean i'm reading on four different devices at right. all times it's right. insane yeah right. no right. and i mean i love i love how even though you know you're not a summer person your writing is so relatable mm-hmm. do you know what i mean it's so mm-hmm. it's it's and i think that for me that's what makes the perfect sort of like beach read summer read etc do you think what do you think makes the perfect sort of summer read so I've, I've thought about that a lot because, you know, this time of year, everybody's like, you know, what are your favorite beach reads and what books do you recommend for summer? And I think that like the relatability piece of it, like you want to feel like you're just sitting with a friend and they're telling you this story. And it, it could be like, you, let me tell you what's going on with me and my husband or my partner, or you won't believe this thing my kid just did, or you won't believe this thing my mom just did. And mm-hmm. it, it's just, um, that kind of intimacy, that kind of like, these are people who I know and I'm invested in and I care about them. So characters who feel familiar, characters you care about. I mean, and then, you know, a little bit of fantasy, like a gorgeous beach house or a beautiful setting or a delicious meal or like the perfect man who comes out of nowhere. Like, you know, (laughs) all of those, all of those elements, I would say. I feel like setting, and you said this in the most recent book, The Summer Place, you set it on on Cape. And it. I feel like that to me, I mean, I've been there only because I was like randomly invited once, but I could never afford to go on my own. I would never be able to rent a place there. I would never any of that. And I feel like that is the ultimate sort of like escapist beach story. You know what I mean? Like we can imagine it. We see it in the postcard, but I could never afford to actually go. And so we go in your books, which is, I think, incredible. How did you come up? with the story for the summer place? Well, um, so I wrote that book during the pandemic. I wrote it like last year when we were just sort of mired in that it was before the vaccines and like, are we ever going to get out of this? Is it going to be like this forever? And I really wanted something with that feel of, I want to be someplace beautiful. I want a real, I want romance. I want lots of hijinks and, you know, so I knew it was going to be a family story. I, I knew I wanted a wedding because like, what else is going to give you like all of that sort of heightened drama and yeah. all the different generations and everything coming together. So I was thinking about families. I was thinking about weddings. I was thinking about Cape Cod and that beautiful setting. Mm-hmm. And then my mom died last year. And so I was Sorry. thinking about, yeah, thanks. It was it was so sudden, like she went from being like the healthiest, most vital, most active person in her seventies to like nine weeks from start to finish. That's so hard. It's, it's so hard, but so my mom died. And then like two weeks later, my father-in-law, my husband's father died. 
And my mom was sick for nine weeks. His dad had been sick for years. And so we sort of joked that like he was paying on the installment plan and I just got the the whole right because whether, whether it happens quickly or whether it happens, you know, like there's this long, terrible decline, you you're always going to pay, you know, and it's whether you pay up front, you pay in installments, like you, it's gonna, it's gonna get you, it's going to happen. So my mother died. And then like four months after that, my older daughter left for college, which is, you know, one of those things so much to deal with in a year, so much to deal with. But but again, like these are kind of, these are the kind of losses that like, if you grow up and everything kind of goes the way it should, like you're going to lose your parents, your kids are hopefully going to launch, you know, even if they come back again. So I was thinking about all of those things. And I was thinking about the idea of passing the torch from generation to generation, like the matriarch who dies and then the middle-aged daughter becomes the family's matriarch, which is where I am now, which is so mind bending because I still feel like I'm 25 and I haven't figured anything out, but there it is. So I mean, I, I relate to that so much. And in reading the book, I really felt that because I was like, I still feel like I'm 25, but I'm so not 25 anymore. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But so those were all of the elements. It was sort of, you know, fun and whimsy and escape and romance and also the heavier pieces of, you know, that your parents die and then you're the parent and someday your kids are going to lose you. And that is the way it goes. Yeah. I was, I was struck by the, yeah, I know, but you know, but it is fun. It is life. And what I think, you do so well in your writing is that you take some of the heavy things or some of the family dynamics or the awkward, the awkward things. I mean, the awkwardness in it is like so amazing and you make it, like I said, relatable in a lot of ways. And I think I, I was, I was actually struck by the inclusion of the pandemic because I find a lot of writers and a lot of just creatives in general aren't, are just sort of glossing over the pandemic or if they are getting like, like what with, um, and just like that, they, they address the pandemic, but then it's a world that has moved on from the pandemic. So they're not deeply right. set in it. Whereas your book is set in it. I mean, we start in the sh- with a Shabbat dinner at like in it all, it's sort of amazing. Right. 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 Well, so I didn't want to write a pandemic book and I thought about it a lot and The thing that happened was like really early on, I read a piece and I think it was in the times about these couples in New York that had been on like two dates or three dates. And then the, um, the, the quarantines happened, the shelter at home things. And and they moved in together because real estate's expensive in New York. And it's like, well, let's kind of see where this thing goes. And so I was really interested in that question of like, what happens to a couple that's had that's gone through something like that, that's had the relationship kind of fast forwarded because of this external thing that's going on. Um, You know, and I, I, it felt, it felt like it would be cheating to kind of not have that. Fully agree. Gloss it over. And I, I mean, I, it, I don't want to read like, at least right now, I, I'm not ready to read like our plague year kind of books, but I think that, what the pandemic did to a lot of us was sort of, it, it heightened things, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you think you've got a good marriage. Well, okay. What if you and your husband are both now working from home, you're home 24 seven, the kids are going to school from home. Your husband's daughters moved back into the attic with her new boyfriend and they're having like really loud sex. Like, 
how's that, how's that working out? Right. You know, and it just, it just felt like there was, there was so much there that I wanted to like talk about the, the comedy of it, the tragedy of it, mm-hmm. the, the everything of it. I have to say reading, reading it and, 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 you know, thinking about that sort of pandemic house, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was just me and my boyfriend and my cat in our pandemic apartment here in Los Angeles. And I was like, Oh, we had it easy compared to this family because mm-hmm. <laughs> right? this is insane. The, right? and, and the fact that like, at the end of it all, you kind of, you have to deal with the character, which another thing that struck out me that was, I was blown away by the lead being a stepmother, which you don't read in novels all that often. And if the, and if, especially not a stepmother as the protagonist, and it's usually the evil character or the, the unknown character or whatever. And to give sort of that humanity, I mean, I come from a divorced family. I know the dynamics of that step parent relationship that has to happen. And I was really struck by that. What did you intentionally choose for her to be the step parent? And like, how did you shape that character? So that was really interesting because I knew that I wanted to, I knew that there there was going to be a wedding and I wanted to write about Sam and Sarah, who we meet very, very briefly in that summer, which was my 2021 book. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so these people are going to be in their late thirties by now. So unless Sarah had like a teen pregnancy, like she's really not old enough to be the mother of the bride. And much like you, my parents were divorced. I'm divorced, remarried. My ex is remarried, lots of step parents. And I'm watching my own daughters navigate those relationships with their stepfather and with their stepmother. And just thinking about like, what if the stepmother's not the villain? Like, what if this young woman's mother just decided that she was not meant to be a mother, she should not have ever become a mother, and the kindest thing that she can do, the best thing she can do for her daughter is just basically tap out, just be like, I can't do this. I will not do right by you. I have every confidence that your father's going to meet somebody wonderful, and you'll have a wonderful stepmother, and just sort of pass the baton in a way, because I I think, and, and that was for me, one of the most interesting parts to write about the idea that like, some women don't want to be mothers, aren't yeah. meant to be mothers, aren't good at being mothers, or yeah. are maybe, you know, Annette, who is this, this mother who sort of had a baby and just been like, I can't do this. Like she is able to come back when her daughter's an adult and be there for her in a way that is exactly what Ruby needs, but couldn't do it when Ruby was a baby. And, you know, that was something that like, I really struggled with because I was crap when my kids were born. I was not good with babies. I was really, when they they started talking, then I was okay. But I was just like, what do you want? Like, I don't know what you want. Like, I just couldn't. And my first, my older daughter was like, oh my God, she was a crier. And I just, I I couldn't handle it. And I just remember like the scene where Annette talks about, like she's at the park or she's at the play group and she's looking at the other mother's faces, trying to see if any of them have this like thousand yard stare, like this, oh God, get me out of here. I don't know what I've done. And 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 seeing that some of the women do look like that, but then they always have this moment of like, oh, but you know, he's my angel and I wouldn't have it any other way. And like, she's yeah. just not feeling it. And I think I remember thinking like, I'm the only woman who's ever felt this way or who have, who has not felt the way she's supposed to feel. And I think yeah. 
you know, and I think there's something kind of universal to that. And that it's so but, universal. Uh, yeah. And I, I wanted to talk about sort of struggling people mm-hmm. who are struggling as parents, as, as spouses, mm-hmm. you know, all it reminded the- me of my mother in a lot of ways. Cause my mom is kids. My mom is kids. I remember saying, cause my mom was like, I mean, she's not like a mothering mom. I love her to death, but she's definitely not like a mothering mom. And she would say that, you know, we were asshole kids, but she loved us. But uh-huh. <laughs> we were we were yeah. bad kids. We were loud. She didn't know what to do with us. Yeah. We were obnoxious. Right. I was really showy. She had no idea what to do with me. And it well, was. That, that's, yeah, I, that's I think relatable. That, like, women, women are told like you know, that there's something just innate about being female that like, you're going to want to be a mother. You're going to love those babies. It's going to be the happiest moment of the life of your life when they put that baby in your arms. And, and if you don't feel that way, then you're like, well, what's wrong with me? And yeah. And, and, and why does everybody else seem to get this intuitively in a way that I don't? And I, I think I mean, it's funny. I I think that fiction is one of the places that women can be really honest about Mm -hmm. this stuff. And I've started to see more books, whether they're like horror stories about mothering Mm -hmm. or thrillers about, you know, having a kid who's like the bad seed, only are you making it up or it's really awful. All of those, I, I think that fictions become a place where women are allowed to be honest about their ambivalence and be mm-hmm. honest about their struggles. Yeah. I think the first book that I read that uh, it showed a mother not really wanting to be a mother was in the hours. And I remember being so struck with um, the 1950s character you know, in the movie played by Julianne Moore. And I remember being so struck by that because I had I don't think I had ever read in fiction a woman not wanting her children, you know, and yeah. it's and I mean, yeah. and now that, of course, is not in your book, but it well, it is it is in a way, but it shows it shows the sort of different, especially, you know, her, her birth mother. It shows the different types of moms out there and the whole spectrum mm. of women. And right. that's the other thing is the relationships between women in your books is like paramount. I mean, that. I, I've obviously I'm a gay man. So I love, love like female stories. I'm drawn to female stories. My favorite book when I read as a kid was Wally Lamb. She's come undone, which is obviously written by a man, but it's about really strong female characters. And so your books are like catnip for me that I just, I love the, the dynamics between the women. And I, in this story in particular, the different generations of women interacting with each other and the step or the daughter's, you know, relationship with her step grandmother in a lot. I mean, that, that whole sort of different types of relationships. Did, how did you navigate sort of showing the different generations of female characters in your books and how they navigated with each other? That's a really good question because I was thinking a lot about all of these women being creative people, right? So Ronnie, the grandmother slash step-grandmother is a novelist. Sarah was a musician, was sort of on this path to be a, con- to be a concert pianist and, and didn't end up following through. Ruby's a theater kid. She's at NYU. She's studying stage management. And Annette is sort of finding herself in perpetuity, traveling yeah. the globe, trying to figure it all out. But like all of them are working to find a way to sort of balance their, these big creative fulfilling lives that they want with marriage and with motherhood. And I wanted to talk about, 
I, I guess we see Ronnie kind of just opting out, just deciding that she doesn't, that she can't be who she wants as a mother, as a partner, if she's going to continue being a novelist. She doesn't like who she is when she's in New York City for a whole bunch of reasons. So she stops publishing. She doesn't stop writing, but she stops publishing. And then Sarah comes to this reckoning where it's either like, you're going to totally commit to this life of music and, and probably not get married and have children, or you're going to do something else. And she decides to sort of take the safer path, but has regrets and has a lot of, you know, what ifs that she mm -hmm. thinks about, especially when she meets this man from her past. And then yeah. Ruby, the daughter who sort of jumps in with both feet to this new relationship and is like, this is the guy, this is the love of my life. I want to get married. And then pretty much instantly is like, wait a minute. Okay. Am I, should I be doing this? And she's sort of waiting for the grownups to be like, no, like big mistake, you know, yeah. don't, don't, but, but none of the grownups are doing it because she's a grown up now. And they think that she knows her own mind, but I, I wanted to sort of illustrate in, in hopefully not too heavy handed a way, but sort of talk about like, are Ruby's choices any better than her mother's and her stepmother's? Were those options any better than the ones that Veronica had available? And I still think like, you know, I, I, I talk about this all the time about like women always get asked, like, how do you balance work and yeah. being a mother? And men do not ever get asked. And I remember like, Tina Fey and Will Ferrell both became parents for the first time the same year and they both had new movies out. And I watched every interview with Tina Fey where she's asked you, how is it having a new baby? Is it hard? Do you bring your baby with you? What are your arrangements? Do you have a nanny? How do you do it? Nobody, nobody said anything to Will Ferrell except congratulations. Yeah. I was so struck by that because it's still you know, all this feminism and all these years later, and it's still the idea that women are the ones who are going to have to sacrifice and make arrangements and make choices and be judged and judge themselves. And men just, you know, they have wives. And yeah. I, I, I thought that was, um, you know, it's, I, I still think there's some progress to be made on that front. And I wanted to show that, that even though things have gotten incrementally better, they they're they're not we're not all the way where we need to be yet yeah i sometimes look at some of my straight friends and relationships and i'm like you straight people really need to evolve right, <laughs> really need, right? There, needs, there needs to be something because like this whole like what the man does what the woman does thing y'all need to get rid of that that it, needs to it's go so toxic and yeah. yet you know like i actually gave sarah that line of of saying that like even you know, it's easier for creative people to sort of sequence things. You know, you have your baby, you're home for five years or 10 years, and then you go back because your skills don't atrophy. They don't, you, it's not like medicine yeah. or something that you've got to go back to school. You know, you can just pick up where you left off. And yet even creative women just aren't keeping it all together as easily as like any man with a wife at home. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and, and I think you're absolutely right. I think that we need to find like either new ways of doing it, or we've just got to stop being so hard on ourselves and yeah. so hard on each other. Just blow it up, guys. Do something different. That's <laughs> yeah, what I say. Man. I mean, I'm done. Burn it all down. <laughs> yes. Burn it all exactly. down. Exactly. Totally. Mm -hmm. Well, so like 
I just have a few more questions for you. So like I, one of the things I love about your books is I, I do try to find you in them. And a lot of your characters are novelists. And I mm-hmm. wanted to know how much of you do you put into your work? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's usually, you can find little bits and pieces. And like, yeah. for example, in this book, the horrible orthopedic flip-flops that Sarah's <laughs> husband wears and that drive her crazy and she wants to kill him and she wants to kill herself and she wants to burn down the flip-flop factory. My husband has those flip-flops and I tease him about them all the time. <laughs> you know, they're for his plantar fasciitis and he's like, they've made it so much better. I'm like, I don't care. Um, <laughs> right? So, you know, definitely, definitely. Um, a lot of what I was going through during the pandemic, you know, feeling sort of like my home had been invaded a little bit because I used to work from home and I was the only one here. And then suddenly like my husband's here all day. My kids are here all day. Everybody's here all day. And I sort oh. of felt like I was going crazy a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, some of Ronnie's experiences in publishing were, you know, things that um, not the affair with the hotmail editor, the, the only straight <laughs> man in publishing, as I call yeah. him one draft until somebody's like, there are other straight men here. I'm like, well, why did sure. I have them? Right? Where do you keep them? Are they in like a (laughs) vault or something? Um, So yeah, I mean, they're they're definitely, you know, and and then, um, you know, with one of the characters' deaths, I mean, that was definitely something that that I went through. And when my my mom had like made all of, she knew she was dying, so she'd made all of the arrangements and we didn't find out until later that she actually had um, worked with a place called budget cremations of new England. (laughs) 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 And I'm like, I'm like, really Fran? Like you, you, you couldn't even go for just like, cremations of new like yeah. you know, they gave her back to us in a black plastic box with like a, oh a label God. on it and it was it was kind of fantastic you know that and I think there were there were people at the memorial like you know why don't they have an urn because <laughs> it's in a black plastic box like why would you want uh, an urn? they gave I mean, me this it's practical. Everyone loves a deal, even in the death, I guess. Right? Everyone loves a deal, you know? I, I, I wonder if she got a group on. I really do. <laughs> I would love that would be that that is your that's a story in your next novel, actually. <laughs> Getting the group on for the for the cremation. Well, my last question for you is I loved your book off season, which was sort of a it was, I guess, kind of a departure for you because it was kind of like mystery thriller. Yeah. And I wanted to know, because uh, I mean I love that genre, but like a do you ever like ever just want to, like we said earlier, just blow it all up and do something completely different than what people know you for? And if so, like what other genres would you love to dive into? Well, so I love horror and I read a lot of it and I, I try to write, you know, usually around Halloween every year, every year I'll try to do some kind of scary short story. So I'd love to try horror um, you know, I'd love to write speculative fiction. I'm not very good at it. Like it just, I, I don't know why. I mean, this seems to be for whatever reason, you know, my voice, my skills, this seems to be like my sweet spot, but that's not to say there aren't other things that I'd, I'd like to do at some point. Like I'd, I'd love to write like an honest to God thriller someday, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, it's, it's hard because like when you, when you become known for something, that's what people want. Like people don't want to drive up to, up to McDonald's and be served like poke bowls. Like they might like <laughs> poke bowls, but just that's not what they expect when they go to McDonald's. So yeah. 
you know, but that's not to say, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of doors that are open and there's always pseudonyms. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I will. I will say being a big fan of yours, I would love to read any genre. And I love I didn't know that you loved horror so much. I also love horror, which now just makes me love you even more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love what's no, what's up. There's what so much horror story. Yeah, Say I mean, what, what are you reading? What in horror are you reading that like so, um, you love? There was, there was a book called Baby Teeth by Zoje Stage. It was, oh, yes. it, was, it was like a maternal horror story about sort of, I would say that's my favorite, um, my favorite sort of subgenre is, is woman gives birth to monster. And I wrote <laughs> part of my college thesis about Doris Lessing's novel, The Fifth Child, which is about a woman who literally gives birth to something that might not be human. I love those stories. I, I love the idea of like motherhood unmaking a woman instead of like bringing her to this like next, the, the fullest expression of her femininity. It just wrecks her. And wow. I love, and did you read The Push? No, I didn't. That's a new book. It's, it's sort of, it got sold as like a thriller, like an unreliable narrator kind of gone girl thing. But I thought it was a horror story about motherhood. Interesting. I can't remember the author's name, but it's called The Push. It was it was big. It it got written up all over the place. I will check Look it out. Oh my yeah. god. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for doing this. You're I really so appreciate welcome. it. You're welcome. This was fantastic. Thank you for taking the time. You know what else you should be reading? Viola Davis's new memoir, Finding Me. I just started it because Oprah told me to and I do whatever Oprah tells me to. But wow, what a read. Whatever you think you know about Viola Davis, think again. Her story is one that I'm surprised to read, I have to be honest, but I also think is important for everyone to read. What are you reading right now? Or watching? Or listening to? Let me know on Twitter or Instagram. You can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. If you liked what you just heard, please leave a little rating and review because it really, really helps. And maybe share it on social media and tag me when you do it. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all social platforms. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. We'll be right back.